Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today, we visit with actor and author Greg Allen Williams, who stars in the Pure Flix motion picture, All Saints, based on the true story of salesman-turned-pastor Michael Spurlock, and Pastor Mark Batterson, author of Play the Man, Becoming the Man God Created You to Be. First off, our interview with Greg Allen Williams. My name is Greg Allen Williams. I'm an actor and an author and a father and hopefully a, a friend to some. Um, for the past uh, many years, 25 or 30 years, I've worked a lot on television and some in film and written a couple of nonfiction books and, and, and uh, a novel. Um, and uh, here I am, happy to be here. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, in the heart of the Midwest, um, and and you know I'm I'm grateful to my mother for getting off the train from Mississippi in in Iowa. Um, lived in the heart of the city, but back then there was lots of space and lots of open fields, and you know we would ride our bikes and be gone all day, <laughs> and no one had to fear for our safety we as long as we you know came checked in or came home for lunch or came home for dinner and uh, um, raised in a single parent household and uh, mom worked a couple of jobs uh, I had some wonderful teachers in elementary school and junior high school and even high school and just a number of folks that I call heroes who gathered for me over the course of my young life to save me from myself. I was raised in the church. Pentecostal, my mother was a Sunday school teacher, singer, etc. You know, I was, I was adventurous. Uh, I was curious. I probably didn't listen long enough or, or, or hard enough or follow instructions you know, to the letter. And I guess that might be typical in some respects, but, you know, I had a, a wonderful elementary school teacher, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, uh, Miss Marilyn Smith, um, just an amazing uh, educator, a, a strict disciplinarian, but an, an amazing teacher. And I was coming up in a, in a, in a time when um, people of color were not always welcome. In order to achieve the same goal as perhaps a neighbor of a different ethnicity, um, I had to do more. I had to be better than. I had to be twice as good. So that was the standard that was was given to me. Um, so I, I never felt there was a limitation. The lesson that I was given in my house was not that I couldn't, but that I had to do it in, in a different way. I didn't really get a keen sense of that and how it worked in the real world until I was well in adulthood. You know, I was raised an only child, so, uh, and my mother was, you know, a, 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 a non-violent woman, and, you know, her contention was that there was no reason to fight and that sort of thing, but I was a boy child. And in America, a son of John Wayne and Chuck Connors, and, <laughs> and you know, the hero, the good guy, is he gets pushed to a point, to a breaking point, and finally, when the bad guy calls him out at noon for a showdown, 
he has to show up and be branded a coward. I, <laughs> so what I'm saying is I'm an American kid, you know, and a product of American television and literature and folklore and all of those things. So, you know, I had some run-ins with some bullies who, you know, would take advantage because I didn't have brothers or sisters or cousins who could come to the rescue or seek revenge. My big dream was just to make the bullies eat their words. When I came home from boot camp, from Marine Corps boot camp, I was ready and able to confront those old bullies. And, you know, when I walked into public spaces where they were, I saw them on the street. No one had anything but positive things to say and attaboys and proud of yous. And no one seemed to remember that silliness but me. You know, I, I learned that about the importance of letting go. When I got out, um, I was 20 and um, went straight to uh, Minneapolis and enrolled in Brown School of Broadcasting so I could be a DJ on the radio and so had a chance to, you know, to write. And so, you know, came out, went to Brown School of Broadcasting, um, joined a band <laughs> and played keyboard with the band and then um, found out that they were, that a guy named Lou Bellamy, a theater professor from the University of Minnesota, was creating the first professional African-American theater company in St. Paul called Penumbra. And I auditioned, and it was a rep company, so I auditioned, so I had to commit to a full season. So I had to choose between the band and the theater. And the band was wonderful. In fact, they all went on to be millionaires with a band called The Time. So what a wonderful opportunity. And I decided uh, after about a year and a half to go to L.A. And I went to L.A. and didn't do theater there, didn't act there at all, fell flat on my face. I didn't have an after card or a SAG card. I didn't have a union card, so no agent would take me on. Um, uh, I, 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 One of the things that's interesting to me, I had a, a meeting with a an agent who represented an actor by the name of Milburn Stone, who played Doc on Gunsmoke. And, and, and I mean, and for me, that was, you know, wow, you know, Doc's agent. Nothing came of it. So I ended up working at a radio station, KJLH, for, um, that was owned by Stevie Wonder. It was a wonderful time. And I was a, a copywriter there and a production manager. So I would write commercials and voice commercials and Eventually got a late night air shift, but it was an amazing time because I was working in a radio station owned by a blind genius uh, and radio was right up his alley. So uh, he brought so much to the work that we were doing and how we were doing that work and how we were presenting that work uh, to the community. It, it was it was a wild time. It was a time when people were using a lot of cocaine, when cocaine became a currency. Yeah, I mean, it was more than trendy. It became currency in the movie business, in the radio business. And I said, well, if these folks are okay with it, then I'll be okay with it. And they were not okay with it, <laughs> nor was I. So I got caught up in that whole trend there and, and, and actually returned to the Twin Cities to sort of get myself together. I was back in Minneapolis for about three years. I got back in the theater, back on the stage, um, doing a lot of industrial film, voiceover, um, and then picked up uh, 
a, a, a show in Chicago at North Light Theater. Um, and that brought me into Chicago, helped me get an agent in Chicago, started doing a number of national on-camera and voiceover commercials in Chicago, big market there, and picked up my first three movies over an 18-month period and a television series, and that's what brought me back to L.A. I mean, going back sober, I couldn't have gone back and survived. I knew, I had read the Bible, I had listened to sermons, I understood, or I thought I understood a lot about our relationship with Jesus. Um, but there was a part of me that couldn't get past the personalities in order to embrace the principles. And so in the course of my recovery and, and building my sobriety, I constantly, consistently came face to face with individuals who would translate the word of God for me or who would simplify and so God made it possible for me to hear his word, to hear his wisdom, uh, to hear him say to me that I am a worthy human being and that I am loved. And very often that had to come via someone else's conversation <laughs> with God. And so when I read Jesus calling, I'm sort of like, look, <laughs> some of us just need a little, a little more help, <laughs> you know, if I can get out of my own way, then maybe, then maybe I, I can, you know, have my ears and my eyes open long enough to, to hear what he's saying to me, to receive the gifts that he has for me and the understanding and the peace and the joy uh, that he has for me. And I've experienced that. And, and I understand why there are people who say of Jesus calling, it saved my life when it talks about being loved and being worthy and, and you're okay. And came to back to Los Angeles with a show called Baywatch and, at that time, I was a certified scuba diver. I got to work by the water every day. <laughs> what a dream. Uh, and, you know, with some wonderful people. It was a, a, a wonderful time. I began writing. I wrote a couple of books. Uh, wrote a lot on set. Um, a gather, uh, um, Boys to Men, Maps for the Journey. But prior to that, A Gathering of Heroes. And then in 1992, while I was doing uh, Baywatch, uh, had the opportunity to intervene on behalf of a, of, of a fellow citizen who was being assaulted at the intersection of Florence and Normandy. And, and I call that a summit of my destiny. Um, you know, I, I heard about the violence happening at the intersection. I live not far from that intersection at all in a, in a safe, gated community uh, next to the Los Angeles Forum. And I thought I might be able to be a voice of reason when I arrived, there was a man who was being beaten inside of his Ford Bronco. And, um, you know, being an ex-Marine and, and, you know, supposedly, you know, having taken a, uh, an oath to defend the Constitution, all of that, 
But more importantly, um, it had taken me a long time to develop the ability to look myself in the eye in the mirror. And I wasn't willing to abandon that on that day. And if I had walked away from Mr. Harata, who was being beaten at that moment, then I, I, I would have lost the, the ability and perhaps the right uh, to look myself in the eye and certainly my children in the eye. So, um, you know, I, I waded out to the intersection and said to the fellow who was about to open the door so they could drag him out, I just said, you know, come on, you know this ain't right. And he did. He knew because he, he backed up. <laughs> he backed up. You know, there's this thing about stop signs. If there were no stop signs, we would kill each other, not because we hate, but because we would forget to stop. So it just became a stop sign that day and was able to pull him out of the vehicle and, and get him to safety. And then another individual came along and took him to California Medical Center. And, you know, some people allowed us to rest um, several blocks away on their grass and went to wipe his wounds. And, you know, so it was a... It, it was a day, uh, the book that I wrote is called A Gathering of Heroes and it has nothing to do with my actions on that day. It has everything to do, again, with those heroes who had gathered for me uh, over the course of my life up to that point. Again, to save me from myself because there was certainly a time I would have arrived at that intersection to harm rather than to help. Um, so I, you know, I'm very grateful for um, that opportunity. Because during the Los Angeles riots of 92, people all over that city rescued individuals and put their lives on the line to save people. This is what we do. Um, not just those who are sworn to it, certainly our, our first responders, but just regular folk. The, the, the love, the agape, that is in us, the God in us, the divinity, as Jesus calling often refers to, the divinity in us can do no less than potentially, if not lay down one's life, put one's life at risk, one's well-being at risk in order to save the life of another. Greg Allen went on to be involved with many humanitarian and citizenship organizations and has had the opportunity to speak all over the country about the issues of justice and intolerance. He relocated to Atlanta, Georgia to raise his family and continue his acting career. His latest role is in the Pure Flix film, All Saints, starring John Corbett as salesman turned pastor. Greg Allen explains why he was drawn to the role of the bishop and discusses his other roles and how they've influenced him. Well, initially I had, I had auditioned for a different role and then Steve saw that audition and uh, Steve Gomer, the uh, director, and then asked me to read for the role of the bishop. Um, and at that point I was able to read a script and it was just this, this wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful story. You know, it's a real story about real people um, I got to meet the bishop whom I was portraying, um, the, uh, the Episcopal minister who was being portrayed by John Corbett. 
Um, and many of the parishioners who were a part of that church when John Corbett's character was sent to close the church because it wasn't self-supporting, those people who were there in the midst of that miracle. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and this church literally is or appears to be in the middle of a field. <laughs> in the middle of a field. And clearly, in the middle of a field that at one time was almost in the middle of nowhere. Because everything around it is new. There's a church across the street that's new. There's this little mall across the street that's new. So when this story was really taking place, this church was sort of here. And to see how this community was blessed and how the Southeast Asian community that became part of that church community was blessed. Um, you know, what a joy um, when, we, when we tend to the least of these. Um, when we recognize and act on the truth that I am my brother's keeper. And so being a part of this amazing, <laughs> true story um, was a blessing and a, and a privilege. To find out more about the All Saints movie and where it is showing near you, please visit allsaintsmovie.com. We'll return to the second half of our show featuring Pastor Mark Batterson right after this brief message from Audible. As a special offering to you, the listeners of the Jesus Calling Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Find your favorite Sarah Young titles, including Jesus Calling and Jesus Always, in an audiobook version, and get it for free by trying audible.com. Check out a small sample of the Jesus Calling audiobook featured at the end of this podcast. To download an entire free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling for your full free audiobook. Now, on to the second half of our show. Next up on the Jesus Calling podcast, we visit with author Mark Batterson, who is also the pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., Mark has recently written a book called Play the Man, Becoming the Man God Created You to Be. Mark shares what led him to write this book and encourages men daily to live by the seven virtues of manhood. Mark Batterson, and I am pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. We're one church with eight campuses and about 50% single 20-something, so a very young church. And and then I feel as called to write as I do to pastor, and so I've written 15 books. And of course, the latest book is Play the Man. And most importantly, I'm husband to my wife, Laura. We've been married 25 years, and we have three children, Parker, Summer, and Josiah, ages uh, 21, 19, and 15. I'm a Midwest guy, uh, born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and grew up in the Chicago area. And then uh, eventually, 
transition to Washington, D.C. Actually, it was a failed church plant when I was in seminary in Chicago, uh, 22 years old. It's amazing how much you know when you're 22. I, I felt like I had it all figured out and uh, had a 25-year plan for a church plant. And my professor gave it an A. It has to work, but it did not work. And uh, it was out of that failed church plant that we ended up moving to Washington, D.C. And I feel like God gave us a second chance. And, and I look back on it now, and I'm, I'm grateful because I think the, the cure for the fear of failure is not success. I think it's failure in small enough doses that you build up an immunity to it. And you realize that God's there to pick you back up dust you off and give you another chance. I'm blessed to have had a dad who was such a godly example. And he wasn't the most verbal person. uh, And, you know, in some ways, um, uh, didn't necessarily talk the talk, but man, he walked the walk. And uh, to have a father who is there for you gives you a certain uh, security and example. In fact, I played basketball in college, and I remember this one game in particular. I played for the University of Chicago. We were playing out in Boston at Brandeis University, and, and my dad drove all the way. My mom and dad drove all the way from Chicago to Boston and then had to drive back through the night and I only played five minutes in the game so I I did the math and they basically drove uh, about 24 hours just to see me play five minutes of basketball but that to me that moment is is a wonderful example of who my dad is someone who was there for me and and uh really felt like I was a priority in his life and and I think that inspired me um, to be that kind of dad to my children and then I was blessed to have a father-in-law as a, as a pastor um, to have a father-in-law who was a pastor uh, really became a mentor to me and and saw his prayer life in fact wrote a book a few years ago called the circle maker a book on prayer and and dedicated that book to him because uh, he's the one who really set that example for me. And, and then finally, I'm grateful. I, I've got a spiritual father named Dick Foth who took me under his wing when, when I was a rookie pastor, pastoring 19 people. He had been a pastor and a college president. And uh, for whatever reason, I think he saw some potential in me. And, and he's someone that's been a spiritual father to me for the past 20 years and uh, eternally grateful for his influence. So I think those three men uh, really um, influenced, shaped, and uh, certainly wouldn't be who I am or where I am without them. You know, here's the example that God sets for us. And, and this really is the heart of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were at our worst, he was at his best. Now, now let me ask a question. You know, when, when are you, uh, when your spouse is at their their best it's easy to love them but when your spouse is at their worst you know hypothetically speaking of course um you know what that takes tough love but that's that's the true test to me and so i think that's a starting point Uh, start with tough love and uh talk about everything from childlike wonder to 
willpower, true grit, raw passion, clear vision, and then end up with moral courage because I think it takes courage to really exercise all of these virtues, especially in the culture in which we live. And I think that's a standard that we're called to as men. How can we grow uh, in the virtue of Christ into Christ-likeness and uh And so there you have it, seven virtues of manhood. And, you know, I think most people, as they read them, uh, they're going to identify a couple that they're pretty good at and then a few that they need to go to work on. And and that's really the purpose in writing it. We live in a culture where we give up a little too easily. We give up a a little too quickly. And and I don't want to cast judgment on anybody, but I think that's true when it comes to marriage and family. I think as men, we've got to learn what it means to fight for our family. I love this verse in Ephesians 6 where Paul says, having done all to stand, stand. And it's that second stand that I think is grit. It's the perseverance to keep on keeping on Uh, even when it's difficult to do so. It's so critical as men uh, and as women that we stay in the Word. And and of course, it's not about getting through the Bible. It's about getting the Bible through us. But, you know, that's how God speaks to us. And and that's part of what I love about Jesus Calling. It's, It's not about reading it in the third person. It's really about letting God speak to us in his voice. And I think one of the challenges that we face in our relationship with God is that sometimes it feels like a monologue. We either feel like God is speaking to us, but we don't really take the time to listen and respond. Or, you know, some people, um, God can't get a word in edgewise because uh, all they do is, is talk instead of sit and listen. So I think the beautiful thing about Jesus calling is it turns the monologue into a dialogue. And that that's what God wants. I mean, just think about it in, in a normal earthly relationship. Any relationship that's too one-sided, that one person does all of the talking, uh, something seems a little off. And I, I think a healthy relationship is about listening and talking And uh, I think the beautiful thing about Jesus calling is that it's this wonderful dialogue. And the good news is, is that God does want to speak. Now, he usually speaks in a still small voice. Uh, It's a whisper. But but the reason why I believe he does that is because when you speak in a whisper, someone has to get real close to you. You have to put your ear right next to their mouth so that you can hear what they're saying. And so we think the goal is to hear the voice of God. I think the goal is for God to get us as close to him as he possibly can. So he speaks in this still small voice and then we when we draw near, I th- think that's then uh, when we not just hear his voice, but uh, he-, he reaches out and embraces us and gives us uh, one of those divine hugs, so to speak. One of my hopes is that as people read Play the Man, that they would begin this process of identifying what are our values? What, what battlefield are we going to die on? What is it that we believe God has called us to as a family? I remember so many attempts at family devotions that just would run out of gas after a week or two. And, and I think um, sometimes we beat ourselves up and then, and then we give up because that attempt didn't work. So I think the first thing you got to do is 
you know, you've got to forgive yourself. Listen, God forgives you. So, so don't try to pay double for what he's already forgiven. Uh, just realize that you've made some mistakes. Get up, uh, dust yourself off, and, uh, and believe that God's going to give you a second chance. Uh, and by the way, I, I think for fathers who maybe have older children and feel like it's too late, it, it's not too late. God gives us a second chance, and I believe it's called being a, a grandparent. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a chance to go back and maybe make a little bit more of an intentional difference in the lives of your grandchildren that maybe you missed in the lives of your children. So I, I just believe in God's grace. And then the other thing I would say is that sometimes the mistakes we make uh, set us up to teach our kids, I believe, one of the toughest and most important lessons in life. And that is how to apologize, how to say sorry. In fact, my my parenting really comes down to three words, uh, thanks, please, and sorry. If I can help my kids be good at those three things, then I'm not worried. Uh, if you're good at, at thanks, please, and sorry, you're going to have a good marriage. You're going to have a good career. Uh, I think those three words play out in every arena. And I also think they're the key to a healthy uh, spiritual life. For more information about Mark's book, Play the Man, Becoming the Man God Created You to Be, visit markbatterson.com. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we visit with singer, author, and actress Kathy Lee Gifford, host of the Today Show on NBC. Kathy Lee shares about her life, her marriage, and how she got to the place where her faith was cemented by her relentless pursuit of the truth in God's Word. I want the truth. The truth is what sets us free, and I don't want to be spoon-fed faith my whole life. I want the meat of the Bible. Because that's where that's what grows us uh, down to the marrow and to the, and to the you know the joint marrow. The, the scripture says the word of God is living and active. As for God, His ways are perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. Our featured passage for today comes from the May 11th entry of the Jesus Always audiobook. I am your brother and your friend. I'm the firstborn among many brothers. You are being conformed to my likeness. This is an astonishing privilege and blessing. Some children are blessed to have a strong, loving older brother who helps and protects them. You have an all-powerful big brother who is constantly looking out for your interests. Even the most committed family member or friend cannot be with you always, but I never leave your side. I am the friend who sticks closer than a brother. My continual presence with you should never be taken for granted. Remember that your faithful friend is also King of Kings. If you could glimpse me in all my glory, you would understand why John fell at my feet as though dead when he saw me. I am the first and the last, the living one who was dead and is alive forever and ever. I want you to relate to me with reverence because I am your Savior, God. Remind yourself that the glorious gift of salvation is yours forever, and honor me with gratitude. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. 
We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.